Episode 27 of the Robot Report podcast, which brings conversations with robotics innovators straight to you. I'm Steve Crow, editor of the Robot Report. Thanks, folks, for being here. We drop new episodes of the show every Wednesday. You can find us on Amazon Music, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, SoundCloud, Spotify, anywhere you get your podcasts. Please subscribe, leave us a rating, give us a review. Joined, as always, by senior editor Eugene Dimitri. Gene, I see our favorite Gundam robot is on the move again. That's right. For those of you who might remember, we talked about it, I don't know, uh, maybe a month ago. Uh, they built a giant humanoid robot based on the popular anime and manga uh, in Japan. And uh, it's now able to move its leg and, and uh, you know, a life-size giant robot. Still not very practical, but uh, I think we've talked before, this is a year of the legged robots. Yeah, for sure. Not practical for anything, but can you imagine they, they really need to take the shackles off of that thing and just let it run loose in the wild? Can you can you imagine something like that? Are you being, volunteering it, to drive it? <laughs> oh, absolutely. Hell yeah. Can you imagine that being in Waltham? That'd be crazy. Uh, yeah, it would, it would step over or step onto all kinds of things. <laughs> no kidding. Uh, as always, a, a ton to get to here. Gene will dive into the Aurora Uber deal. We'll discuss the first fully driverless vehicle fleet hitting downtown Shenzhen, China, and we'll discuss some more headlines. But up first, our, our look inside the Pittsburgh Robotics Network. We had a chance to catch up with a, a friend of ours, Interim Executive Director Joel Reed, who had a chance to lay out the state of the cluster for us. Yeah, and you know we've known uh, Joel since his time at I Am Robotics, which was working on a mobile manipulator robot. But... Uh, normally, we would have visited Pittsburgh by now during the course of the year. And uh, for those of you who may not know, Pittsburgh is arguably um, one of the top three robotics clusters in the U.S., uh, along with Silicon Valley and the Boston area. And uh, I, I think it's somewhat underrated. You know, they have the proximity to manufacturing in the Midwest. They have uh, an excellent educational base like the other clusters. Uh, and uh, we get some great insight from Joel on, on the plans and ambitions. Yeah, Carnegie Mellon has has obviously played a huge role there and, and will continue to play a, a huge role for, for the Pittsburgh cluster, especially when it comes to autonomous vehicles, which we'll discuss a lot on today's episode. And we, we talked to Joel, what, last Friday. So it was before the Aurora Uber deal was announced, but he said it's, you, you see self-driving cars on the streets. They're being tested all the time, which is, which is pretty cool to see. He actually had a chance to ride. I don't think he said when he did this, but he actually rode in an Uber self-driving car at some point while being down there. So we get into that a little bit. We also talk about uh, some exciting companies to watch, how startups and more established companies down in Pittsburgh have dealt with COVID-19 and what Joel's looking forward to in 2021. So here's our conversation with Joel Reed, the interim executive director of the Pittsburgh Robotics Network. Enjoy. Joel, thanks for being here. It's been a while. I don't think I've talked to you since I remember bumping into you at the, our 2019 Robotics Summit. Uh, I think that might be the last time I talked to you. A lot has changed since then, sir. Yeah. Uh, thank you very much, Steve and Eugene. Uh, good to talk to you guys. And by the way, that was a fantastic event. Um, I think it's a really important one to attend. Yeah, hopefully we'll uh, we'll be back next year, early October in Boston. You know, we'd love to have you if uh, everything is is safe to do so by then. But uh, tell us, uh, Joel, just just give us an update. What's the current state of the Pittsburgh Robotics Network? Yeah, it's it's an exciting time. Um, I think most people in the industry know that Pittsburgh is one of the top robotics ecosystems in the world. Um, traditionally, uh, you know, that's Boston, uh, the Bay Area. Um, and Pittsburgh as well. And, and I really put us up there in that top two or, or top three. And so, you know, but, um, but maybe we're, we're not as widely um, recognizable outside of Carnegie Mellon uh, to many that are not directly involved in the robotics industry. And so we've done quite a bit this year to, um, uh, to, to capture the demographics, um, to identify and engage with the community. And we've, we've been able to ascertain that we have well over 100 organizations uh, that make up our ecosystem here in Pittsburgh. So the story has been is, is that we have definitely uh, grown beyond our Carnegie Mellon University uh, roots. We have a very active uh, commercial community here. And, and very quickly, we're no longer a well-kept secret. 
And uh, that's part of what we've been working on, you know, with the Pittsburgh Robotics Network. And we're looking forward to an, um, a, a more active year next year and, and, uh, and to really extend um, our community and, and make those strong connections to, to Boston, um, you know, to, and internationally, because we know that there are strong robotics communities in other parts of the world, you know, such as Denmark, uh, Israel, Singapore, so on and so forth. So Joel, you mentioned uh, Carnegie Mellon University, and you know, again, obviously, it helps to have a, a world-class educational institution as one of the anchors of uh, your your network. But as you said, you've grown well beyond that. Is CMU still involved with uh, the Pittsburgh Robotics Network? And uh, do you have, uh, you know, in terms of your own development as an organization, are you working with other institutions? Uh, so yes, absolutely. Carnegie Mellon is involved. Um, they're one of the, the founding uh, members. We have strong support uh, from both the Robotics Institute, uh, the School of Computer Science, uh, and other departments. And uh, in fact, we um, uh, the Pittsburgh Robotics Networks, one of the things it has done uh, over the last couple of years is that it has organized and hosted the Roboberg Opportunity Expo uh, at Carnegie Mellon. So each fall we put on a uh, recruiting event. Uh, this year we had to shift to online um, and we had almost over 300 students uh, that had registered and, and over 20 companies in Pittsburgh participating. And, and we actually set up an online uh, uh, recruiting uh, uh, exposition and it, and it went really well. Um, I mean, it was difficult uh, in that format, uh, but we are able to maintain those connections uh, between this um, wellspring of talent uh, that emerges from the university each year and make those connections with our companies. Um, and then to your second question, uh, you know, that's, that's the interesting thing is, is that CMU has always been the driving force um, and is the, the better known institution, you know, worldwide. But as the industry uh, is growing rapidly um, and, in, and in running a company that, you know, kind of grew by four times in such a short amount of time, short, short period of time, our businesses need to fill all the other functional roles uh, beyond the core research and, and development. Um, so we, we work very closely with the University of Pittsburgh um, and the University of Pittsburgh's business school, uh, the Katz Business School, uh, along with Carnegie Mellon's uh, Tepper Business School, um, to try to bring in the marketing talent, uh, the business development talent, uh, you know, product and, and operations. Um, but also the University of Pittsburgh has a very strong um, uh, school in engineering with the Swanson School of Engineering and has uh, produced great talent, uh, you know, in terms of mechanical engineers, electrical engineers, and, and also, uh, you know, computer programmers. Um, and then we're extending beyond that. Uh, we're fortunate to have an, an extensive number of colleges and, and universities. And so I, I think the number is we produce somewhere around 14,000 uh, tech degrees each year in, in Pittsburgh alone. So we're working to make those connections between those universities um, and our commercial ecosystem. Speaking of roles, Joel, you were named the uh, interim executive director of the Pittsburgh Robotics Network in April of this year. I know you've been involved with it for, for some time, uh, some time now back to its early days, but what's the future of this position? Is this something that you're looking to take over for the long haul? Is it somebody else that is, is going to be stepping into that role? I know you guys have a fantastic uh, board of directors. So what does the future hold for this position? So the, the story of how I came to, uh, to sit in this position is, is one uh, that has made me laugh and I like to tell. Um, yes, I was sitting on the board and, uh, you know, last year we were looking um, to, to take the, the PRM, which was largely a volunteer driven organization uh, at its outset and professionalize it and, and, and scale and, and grow it. And uh, often I would, and this won't come as a surprise, I was voicing my opinion, you know, in <laughs> meetings and I, I had some uh, ideas of where I think it could go. And, and that was resonating, you know, with the original founders. Um, but it's one of those, uh, you know, cautious lessons, which is if you voice your opinion, uh, people will turn to you and say, okay, you do it. Um, <laughs> <laughs> take it and run with it. So I was standing forward and everybody stepped back. 
but no, but seriously, I, you know, I, I was fortunate enough this year to have some time. I've been doing some consulting. And so, um, you know, I propose this year for us to revisit our mission and our vision uh, to evaluate, uh, you know, who our stakeholders were and to develop the proposition, the value propositions that align with them. Um, obviously, our stakeholders are the robotics organizations, uh, you know, in the Pittsburgh region um, to be able to advance uh, their growth and development. Um, but we recognize that there's an opportunity to connect the Pittsburgh community uh, with, um, you know, the service providers, uh, the integrators, uh, the users, and, and other technical robotics developers worldwide. So, you know, it's our mission to connect Pittsburgh with the world. Uh, we're all working towards accelerating the adoption of uh, robotics uh, solutions uh, as this uh, industry 4.0, um, you know, begins to take root and, and develop. Um, so, you know, what that means for us as an organization is, is that we now have an operating structure. You know, we, um, we, we have a sense of the, the programs that we want to run. We, we are envisioning of bringing a conference to Pittsburgh in 2022, um, you know, to, to bring together uh, uh, folks um, to uh, discuss technical trends, um, you know, business model trends, and, and to strengthen those connections uh, between our community and other robotics communities. Um, you know, we have some initiatives around talent and recruiting, um, increasing the capacity for manufacturing and assembly, uh, you know, within the in the Pittsburgh region, there's a great opportunity uh, for anybody not in Pittsburgh to come and, and fill this opportunity gap um, to help with the, the the commercialization of all this core talent and intellectual property uh, that's being developed uh, out of Carnegie Mellon and and the other institutions. So, you know, me personally. Um, I really love representing this community. Um, as you guys know, um, I'm very passionate about the robotics industry um, and, and the future that it holds. Um, I would be more than happy to continue you know, leading this, um, but I don't know how that will ultimately uh, play out next year. My, my goal is, is uh, to have the plan in place. Uh, we're, we're currently talking to a number of strategic uh, sponsors uh, who want to deepen their connection within this community and, and work on uh, a number of exciting initiatives. Um, with a threshold of funding, uh, we'll be able to put in uh, a larger staff uh, and we'll be on our way uh, in 2021. And so, you know, whether it's me or if we bring in, a, you know, an, another full-time executive director, I don't think it'll matter. Um, the, the entire initiative is always, it was born and is led and steered by uh, the community, the robotics community itself here in Pittsburgh. Um, so I, I think that's the most exciting thing about it is, is that we're a highly engaged community. Uh, but what we, what we haven't necessarily done in the past is extended that engagement to the worldwide community. Um, so that's what we're looking to do. Well, and Joel, normally I think uh, we would have gotten together in person by now uh, as you know, I've visited Pittsburgh the past couple of years and it's been always uh, great uh, seeing that community. Uh, and we know that the uh, Advanced uh, Robots for Manufacturing or ARM Institute is out there as well. Um, in terms of the Pittsburgh Robotics Network and the other clusters in, in the US or in the world, how close a relationship do you have with, say, Silicon Valley Robotics or Mass Robotics? And how much of it is that you're differentiating yourselves from one another? No, it, it, it's a great question. And, and, you know, and here's the great thing about this is the entire industry is still in those early stages. Um, you know, so Silicon Valley, you know, became uh, achieved its scale by a great deal of, um, you know, uh, uh, um, collaboration and uh, and cross-pollination, you know, within that community. Uh, of course, there's competition, but there was a lot of cooperation as well. Yes, we have relationships with Mass Robotics and Silicon Valley Robotics. I'm working to, uh, I, I've established uh, good relationships with the, uh, the very vibrant startup community uh, in Israel. Um, I'm looking forward, I haven't yet, so maybe Eugene, you can help. I'm looking forward to uh, making contacts uh, in Odense. Uh, even sure. though I know some of our founders um, have very strong working relationships uh, there. I believe we all are working towards the same goal, which is to make this a vibrant industry. 
Um, and as I said to somebody just recently, I, I'm ready to get past this stage of robots are cool. Um, to, but they to, are, but they uh, are cool. Well, they're, cool, and they're always, useful. That's the, I mean, that's, that makes them even cooler in a way. <laughs> well, well, right. And there's always that initial fascination by a customer or by the general public, but we need to get to the stage where they become commonplace. Right. Um, and they're an integral part of our lives and, and they're trustworthy and they're accurate and uh, they're really solving hard problems. And, and I think that's what the, the overall uh, community is now working towards. Um, so, uh, but yes, uh, definitely a need to collaborate um, and, and kind of um, advance the cause uh, together. From, from a differentiated uh, standpoint, you know, really, what Pittsburgh has is obviously like uh, MIT and Stanford, we have a strong academic center. Uh, CMU actually pioneered uh, education and research with the creation of the Robotics Institute uh, in the late uh, 70s. Um, you know, it, Pittsburgh has also just uh, done a, has accomplished a great deal in terms of solving really complex problems, whether it be in, uh, you know, defense, um, or, or heavy industrial sectors. We, we probably need to do better in terms of high growth uh, companies, um, you know, that, that take on risk capital and uh, are able to capture a segment, um, you know, in a more of an accelerated manner, but that is already happening, um, you know, with companies like Seagrid, uh, which are emerging now, you know, in, in the AGV space um, or Fifth Season, which is a vertical farming, you know, company. Uh, and many others are lots of examples, you know, in the community. Um, so, you know, and, and also uh, with uh, another major differentiator for the Pittsburgh community is our autonomous vehicle um, companies and, and research and development. I mean, we, we have four or five of the top uh, autonomous vehicle or self-driving companies actively testing on the streets of Pittsburgh. Um, if you would have told me that 10 or 15 years ago that we were going to test, you know, self-driving technology uh, on our topography uh, with our roads and with our weather, um, I couldn't have imagined it. Um, but actually, these companies, um, you know, decided that that was the best place uh, to come and, and really stress test uh, what they're working on. And I, I heard recently we have somewhere between four and 5,000 uh, employees here in Pittsburgh and billions of dollars now that are being invested um, in Pittsburgh. So we really are the center, uh, the worldwide center of uh, autonomous vehicle research. And, and it goes beyond research because there are new companies that are popping up every day that aren't necessarily looking to um, jump right into L5 functionality. But they're 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 working along that um, uh, um, you know stepwise approach uh, to that ultimate uh, vision, and so we're starting to see some uh, pragmatic um, you know workable solutions today uh, for companies. So you know we have uh, Locomation, uh, which is a uh, autonomous truck uh, company, uh, Edgewise, uh, which is you know bringing a higher level of safety. Uh, to autonomous vehicle, you know, research and, and applications. Uh, Bosch um, has always been a longstanding uh, member in our community, um, and, and they have a, a, a significant team here uh, that's working on a number of our artificial intelligence, you know, initiatives. Uh, and they being the the largest, you know, automotive 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 uh, supplier in in the world. So. You know, when people think of, of the automobile industry, obviously, you know, it's, it's been, you know, Detroit and Michigan and other parts of the world. Um, and you guys know about what's happening in terms of autonomous vehicle uh, work here. But I but we really need to make sure that, uh, you know, the rest of the world understands this. It's amazing. I'm, I'll just run through. You mentioned a few companies there, but I'll, I'll mention some others here, Joel. Argo AI, Aurora Innovation, Aptive, Bosch, Uber all have offices there. They're all testing autonomous vehicles on the road in Pittsburgh. I saw just the other day TU Simple, which is a, a leading autonomous truck company. They're looking to hire a senior director of field test operations in Pittsburgh. You know, there's all the talk about Uber reportedly looking to sell their autonomous vehicle group to Aurora. But what, what's the scene like in, in Pittsburgh? I mean, are, are you seeing these vehicles on the road on a regular basis or is it a little bit more difficult to come across them? Every day, all the time. 
Yeah, really? Okay. And to my earlier comment, it's commonplace now here. Um, You know, it's like seeing a taxi cab go by. Uh, Have you you ridden in one yet? Yeah, I actually got to ride in one uh, early on in Uber. I I took, uh, I I was part of the early uh, beta tests, Um, had two different rides. Um, You know, I've been one of those people that think that we're, you know, we're going to see, um, you know, an incremental uh, a release of, of functionality in the marketplace and, and never thought that we would have, um, you know, driverless cars, uh, you know, within a five to 10 year time period. And now all the AV companies, you know, say the same thing. Um, so it was interesting. It was in the defined space where it had been fully mapped and it was a phenomenal ride. Um, and then uh, we, we got to a point where it was going to take a turn and a construction crew had set up an ad hoc uh, project. And all they had was a sign on a stand in the middle of the road, um, you know, and a flagging uh, 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 person. And and the car made the turn and then it just stopped dead and had no idea what to do. <laughs> and, and the use cases that just sprung from that are all the edge cases. Right. Is it going to be a three-point turn? Um, you know, how does it report this information? What about the, the traffic that piles up behind it? It just really illustrates the absolute complexity of it. That said, these companies here in Pittsburgh are—they've just done a phenomenal amount of work of uh, you know of accelerating the technology and and its capabilities. And um, you know, I know for certain we're going to, and we already are seeing the benefits of all this research uh, in um, you know uh, uh, advanced systems and, and newer vehicles, uh, increased safety you know, from in terms of, uh, you know, uh, lane uh, departure systems and, and stuff like that. One last one last thing. Gene and I actually took a ride in a, a self-driving car. This is probably, what, five years ago, Gene? Four or five uh, years ago? Three or four years ago in yeah. Las Vegas. Yeah. Oh, in Las Vegas. It was Torque Robotics, uh, who's been in the industry for, for quite some time. Uh, their, their head engineers have been doing this for probably a decade or longer. And I remember Gene and I commenting, the ride went pretty smooth. And my takeaway, we're sitting in the back and they had human safety drivers up front. Cause again, this was several years ago now, but I just felt like I was in a taxi ride going somewhere with a friend and you, you know, you, you totally forget that nobody's driving the car. <laughs> you know, that, that was my takeaway because right. it was so impressive to, to see and, and be a part of. So uh, yeah. Yeah, it, it is really impressive. I think what I'm interested to see what might happen is, is and, and we all know the logistics space uh, and, and have covered it and, and worked in it quite a bit. You know, um, the most of the commercial activities and collaborative uh, solutions, you know, how do we take existing, um, you know, human uh, driven roles and make them more productive or, or make them safer? Um, or, or create greater amount of capacity. I, I tend to think that's going to be the same thing that's going to happen in the autonomous vehicle, which is, you know, humans might still be operating the vehicle, um, but how do we ensure that they don't get in an accident? Um, or, or how do we allow them, uh, you know, maybe go a little bit faster in a, in a safer manner? Or they need to, you know, I, I have used autopilot technology and it kind of changes the driving experience. Um, it really does reduce some of the mental burden uh, that you have to take. You still are ultimately responsible for that vehicle. Um, but I think it's made the experience um, uh, you know, much better. Yeah, I mean, everything from like reducing blind spots and and alerting you, you know, people very often you, you drift out of your lane before you even know it. And, and there's so many little things where I think the, uh, ADAS or the advanced driver assistance systems are uh, changing. And, and frankly, uh, knowing the fatality rate on the highways, um, anything that moves that needle in the right direction is a good thing. So, yeah. Uh, the other big item of news this year that you might have heard of was uh, is a certain pandemic. And I know that uh, the Pittsburgh Robotics Network recently hosted a webinar on fundraising in the age of COVID-19. Uh, how has the pandemic affected both startups and more established companies in your local ecosystem? Because, uh, you know, obviously it makes it a lot harder for a startup to raise money when they can't have meetings with investors or when they can't do demonstrations. Uh, how have companies in Pittsburgh been coping? 
Yeah, I think like anybody else, um, quite frankly, and, and I know that there's been a lot of webinars on this, um, you know, in, in terms of, uh, you know, business um, and, and the adoption of the marketplace, it depends on the vertical. Um, Summon has absolutely accelerated and uh, companies are extremely busy. Um, you know, so if you look at, uh, you know, anything that improves social distancing or, or increases public health outcomes, um, you know, such as, you know, uh, autonomous, um, you know, cleaning devices and scrubbing and, and disinfecting uh, robots, um, those are all doing really well. Um, and also in, in the supply chain and logistics space in managing those workforces, uh, that industry that I, I just came out of, but I'm also still tightly, you know, uh, connected to. Um, there, was, there was quite a bit of um, kicking the tires for a period of time. And then now people are rushing in and making those financial commitments. So I think that's really good. But then there are other areas and other industries, you know, that might be hurting. Um, we've covered topics such as fundraising, building resilient uh, supply chains, um, also sales and marketing. Um, and, you know, it's always with the backdrop of COVID, but I think it's ultimately going to become a new backdrop of working in a, in a digital environment, right? Because that's what it's forced us to do. It's forced us to go online. And, you know, the, the, the general takeaways in all those conversations is some of the fundamentals still matter, right? Um, with raising money, you still have to build a relationship uh, with the investor. Uh, you have to instill confidence. Um, and, and have a strong working relationship uh, with that investor. With an event that we held last week, um, sales, uh, you know, it was the same outcome uh, or same takeaway, which is it's uh, vitally important that you um, truly understand, you know, your customers' uh, needs and problems um, and be able to create that feedback loop with them. So you have to understand their business, and, and that does require, you know, being there. Um, but I will say in all of these cases, investors, users, they now accept the fact that, you know, the first couple of conversations are going to be over Zoom um, and that maybe some of the due diligence is going to be performed digitally. Uh, from a sales perspective, um, you know, uh, one of the panelists in our event last week said, uh, don't call by the telephone, right? They're, they're, they are going to respond to um, uh, ultimately uh, to, to meeting on a, on a Zoom call. Um, but yet, you know, it's very difficult for us to be interrupted, you know, by the telephone while we're, we're sitting, you know, tethered to our machines all day long. Um, but they're going to accept having those first digital conversations. You, you might even be, uh, you know, working on some, you know, some customer issues, you know, from a digital perspective. So I think what's going to happen. Oh, and the other thing that came out of that on the sales, which I find to be very interesting, uh, and this is not specific to robotics businesses, um, but companies are now finding that it's going to be more profitable uh, to conduct sales uh, in a, uh, a distant and remote uh, manner. And if customers are willing to accept that and you don't necessarily get in an advantage, and in fact, customers may want to limit the number of, of uh, touches on site uh, from potential vendors or suppliers, then it'll be okay for you to conduct that business uh, remotely. And it actually helps create a more uh, profitable model. So I think on the other end of this, I think we're gonna retain some aspects of it. It'll never eliminate the need for us uh, to be face-to-face, -face, uh, to be in a conference room, to be standing up in front of a whiteboard, um, you know, uh, you know, working uh, collaboratively. Uh, so um, I, I also I'll just say too, from a venture perspective, uh, it did tighten up at the beginning of this year when we went into the lockdown. And what I heard from investors is, is that they're investing, uh, they're, they're putting their, their dollars into companies that they already know um, and, and investments that they already have positions in. And, and at the time they were doing less new investments um, in new companies. Uh, so that was not necessarily good news uh, for startups or at least it made it uh, all that much harder um, to, to not only make those initial connections, um, but to ultimately, you know, cross the, the investment threshold. Um, I think that has improved in the second half of the year. Um, and I'd be curious to see how it turns out next year. For any of the listeners tuning in, we'll, we uh, included a link to the webinar in the show notes here. It's still up on the Pittsburgh Robotics Network website and it's a great panel. So, uh, we encourage you guys to all go check it out 
and uh, hopefully you guys can learn a couple of things. But uh, Joel, one, one type of technology that really excites me is legged robotics. And 2020 has been a pretty good year for legged robotics developers. Uh, you know, Boston Dynamics, they commercialized Spot. They've already sold reportedly 400 plus units. Anybotics, they're a, a Swiss-based quadruped developer. Just last week, they raised a, a $22 million Series A. And Agility Robotics, which has an office in Pittsburgh, they started shipping the digit bipedal robot to customers this past July. And they also raised a Series A round of $20 million earlier this year. I'm just curious, you know, with your background at IM Robotics in, in the wheeled autonomous mobile manipulators, curious about your thoughts in general, just on the, on the viability of legged robots and, and their ability to find applications where they can be helpful. Yeah, you know, I think it's similar to, you know, autonomous vehicles and other technical segments. You know, there's this um, very grand vision uh, that, you know, we'll have humanoids doing, you know, human activities uh, all the time and uh, with the, the same range of capability as humans do today. In, in truth, those technologies are going to um, find niche applications um, and, and uh, you know, maybe different markets that, that we can't even envision uh, today. I mean, it, it is the, um, it's the innovator's dilemma. Um, and, you know, kind of the Clay Christensen, you know, concept of disruption, mm -hmm. which is, you know, will establish new value curves uh, in the marketplace. And, and actually, I, even though I've always had these thoughts, we, ha we had a panelist this week. So, you know, I, I'll, I'll give credit to those comments that were made, which was, um, you know, when, when we were talking, you know, it's the whole Henry Ford, you know, story, um, you know, what I need is a faster horse. Well, it's the same thing with the, this. The speaker had talked about the cell phone, and and you know probably if you had asked what you needed in your cell phone, you'd want it lighter and smaller and and easier to operate, but still have buttons. We we did not necessarily think that the iPod format uh, would serve as a good cell phone, um, but today the smartphone now is the de facto device for all communications, and it's actually become an extended platform uh, for applications in our pocket. So. While we might envision, uh, you know, what the outcome for these technologies is going to be, in truth, um, something else, uh, you know, emerges, um, you know, in the marketplace. Um, you know, so what's that going to be? That's going to be, you know, last mile, uh, you know, delivery, uh, transportation, and, and difficult and, and dangerous uh, environments, or for uh, you know, dull applications. Um, and probably a whole host of ideas. Uh, I'm, I may not be smart enough, you know, to figure out here. But those companies are doing a great job. I, I do like. I look at uh, Boston Dynamics, um, and the the it's the Spot Robot, right? Yeah. Um, it, I mean, you know, that's now a platform that we're seeing pop up in so many different and interesting ways. Um, you know, it was a. Uh, um, you know, a, uh, a marketing platform during COVID in parks. It was walking around in parks and giving public health statements. <laughs> right. um, you know, it, it's gone into, you know, dangerous environments. It's, it's used for inspection and so on and so forth. And, and uh, you know, Agility is a great company. And, um, you know, it, uh, it has two offices, one in Portland, one in Pittsburgh. And so we definitely consider that a Pittsburgh company. Uh, the founder, Damien Shelton, you know, still resides here and, and they have a team, um, you know, that's that's working quite a bit uh, on their technologies. And uh, they've got some really excellent opportunities to, to take that platform. And I think, you know, it's slightly different than than what you may see, you know, at Boston Dynamics, um, you know, uh, but uh, um, I think that there'll be a, a lot of interesting and exciting uh, opportunities. The, the key is, is to find strong collaborations between either industry experts and users and, uh, and the companies that are developing the technology. And, and so you, you can't, you can't do that until the product's actually out there, right? I mean, well, it just, it becomes a lot easier once and they're all out there now. So, so as a startup exec, you know, executive, it, it's, it's a truism. You, you have to go prove what you have first. So you have to go directly into the marketplace and, and you either do that by being a supplier. Um, but what I always preach is, is that you have to be an expert. 
um, or at least you have to really understand your customer's world as much as possible. So whether you hire that expertise in or you put the time and the effort to understand. I always like to think back to this uh, experience that we had in Pittsburgh called Red Zone Robotics. Um, you know, they had very advanced robotic inspection uh, robots um, and, uh, and they ultimately went into uh, sewer pipe uh, inspection and remediation. Uh, you really had to like sewers and, and municipal <laughs> right. services. I mean, it, and I always joke, and I don't know if I could do this on the podcast, but it, it was a shitty job, right? <laughs> so, um, That's you know, so for robots, you, right? <laughs> but, well, well, you know, you, people go through and get their PhD and, and then, you know, they come up with this, you know, world-changing technology that can apply in a number of verticals, but you really have to become the market that you sell into. Um, so that is required. Or uh, a lot of investors, and these are viable business models as well, um, is, is you take a vertical route and you actually become the provider in a marketplace. Um, you know, there are pros and cons to different to each approach. So Joel, we've already named a number of Pittsburgh based robotics companies in, in this episode, but are there any that you're particularly proud of or excited about from this past year uh, that you wanted to mention? Well, I am robotics, of course. <laughs> <laughs> I, I mean, in all seriousness, uh, what, what Tom uh, and the team over there are doing uh, is very exciting. They um, you know, were opening up a new market, a new part of the market um, in mobile manipulation. And uh, we had uh, closed on a significant uh, uh, deployment uh, for fully autonomous mobile, making, mobile picking robots in an, in an e-commerce fulfillment uh, solution. Uh, they also announced this year uh, Bolt, uh, which uh, enters into the AMR category uh, for doing conveyor replacement. Uh, so I say what, what they're doing. Um, you know, it's, 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 um, there are a number of companies to mention. Um, I'm so close to all of them. I, I hate to forget any of them, but I, you know, I, I think that we have to recognize what Secret is also doing in the material handling space. They just raised a, a significant amount of funding this year um, to continue growing um, beyond uh, their initial um, uh, autonomous AGV uh, tow tractor and, and pallet jacks. Uh, so I know that, and, and uh, the team there and, and Jim Rock, the CEO, going back to my earlier comments, makes significant investments in, in, in building uh, industrial engineering teams and industry experts uh, to truly understand customer problems there. So I know that, that, that they're working to expand their suite of solutions um, and, and their presence in the marketplace. Uh, when I talk about uh, the Pittsburgh community, I, I say that we've got a wide range of uh, core technologies that are being applied across a number of industry verticals. Um, another one is um, uh, Fifth Season, uh, which is in the agricultural space. So they're doing vertical uh, farming, um, and, and that's a really exciting uh, company. Um, you know, they had a stat recently where they said that they opened up a facility on an acre of land, and it can produce a half a million pounds of leafy greens. So that's, that's a one acre of land producing something equal to 300 acres of outdoor farm operations. Um, you know, that, that, that it kind of blows my mind. Um, yeah. So, you know, earlier this year, they closed on a $35 million uh, around. Agility just closed uh, on a round as well. Um, we have another company here, RE Squared, um, that has been developing, um, you know, human-like uh, manipulation and arm capabilities. Uh, they had closed on a significant agreement um, with the U.S. Navy. Um, yeah, we've covered all those deals, which is, uh, you know, it's great to, to reconnect and, and to know that. And, you know, to remind our listeners that, uh, again, Pittsburgh, I, I've teased you guys, you're, you haven't done enough to promote yourselves, but there's a lot of really cool things going on there. Well, that won't be a problem with me, Eugene. So that's, <laughs> that's why we're doing what we're doing. That's awesome. Hey, so we'll let you get out of here on this one. And, and, and perhaps your answer will be, will be connected. But what are you going to remember most about 2020? And, and what are you looking forward to in 2021? Yeah, um, uncertainty in 2020 uh, on so many levels. Um, and I also think we'll look back to 2020 as a, as a, with, when we saw some fundamental changes 
um, not only in society, but also in um, you know, how we conduct business. I, I do think a number of the changes um, will remain um, permanently. Um, I, I just know in our robotics companies, um, they had to uh, stay at home, go to a digital format, and some of them are really leaning into it. You know, they're looking to open up offices or they're at least they're saying to their new hires, you can live anywhere you want to. Um, and I think that's a really smart strategy. But the, the trick will be how do we uh, you know, maintain, you know, that that human uh, touch. I think from a robotics uh, industry standpoint, we're also going to look back to 2020 and say, maybe this was the, the pivotal point where we kind of got out of this uh, experimental phase and everybody realizes that, um, you know, uh, embracing these technologies was essential. Um, and, and it was not just an investigation. Obviously, we all have to work on the unit economics and, and make sure that the value propositions are valid. Um, but I think this is when we when we really, maybe in the general public consciousness, uh, realize that automation is, is going to become a uh, everyday part of our lives. Yeah, I think you're right. It, it, it should be a, a, a great moment for the industry to sort of prove itself. Right, prove, prove its value. So, I guess we'll 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 hope for that uh, to turn around next year. But this has been fun. Let's let's not wait so long next time. Hopefully, Gene and I can maybe next year get down to Pittsburgh or, or get you up here for our show in in October. But Joel Reed, interim executive director of the Pittsburgh Robotics Network. Thanks for being here. Be well, and uh, we'll chat soon. Same to you both. Thank you for the opportunity. Take care. Before we get to the news, just a reminder: our Robo Business Direct series continues this week. Join us on Friday at 2 p.m. Eastern for a fireside chat about the future of human-robot collaboration. Laura Major, the CTO of Motional, and Julie Shaw, head of MIT's Interactive Robotics Group, will sit down with Mass Robotics Executive Director Tom Ryden. They'll discuss how the next generation of robots will operate in the real world and how they will change our relationship to technology. They'll also discuss how social behavior can be incorporated into robots and how public spaces can be optimized for safe and beneficial human-robot interaction. Again, it all starts at 2 p.m. this Friday. To register and to learn more about RoboBusiness Direct, please visit robobusinessdirect.com. We'll take a look at the news here, Gene, and to stay updated on all the latest robotics news, we have you covered with our network of robotics websites. Please check us out at The Robot Report robotics business review and collaborative robotics trends up first certainly the story of the week gene story of the year maybe uh uber sold its self-driving unit known as the advanced technology group to aurora aurora is a startup founded by chris ermson one of the more well-known folks in the autonomous vehicle industry as he previously led google's self-driving car project Aurora is backed by Amazon and Sequoia Capital. Uber is investing $400 million into Aurora that now owns about a 40% stake in the startup. Here's a crazy stat. Aurora has now raised more than $1 billion and is somehow now valued at more than $10 billion. Uber will be transferring its 1,200 ATG employees to Aurora, which before the deal had 600 employees. Gene, a simple question here. Just what was your reaction to the news when you first saw it? On the one hand, I'm like, wow, that's a, a big deal. And, uh, you know, it makes me wonder what's going on with Uber, right? There's been a, one of the big uh, movers and shakers in this space. But on the other hand, I'm, I'm certainly happy for Aurora, another one of these multi-billion dollar valuations, even though uh, we're a long way off from production vehicles on the road. Um, you know, I would say... You know, we, we talked before about the top transactions in robotics and automation this year, and whether it's Waymo raising what was it, close to $3 billion, uh, yep. XPeng Motors, uh, $1.5 billion. Uh, it must be nice uh, to be in, in the portion of technology that's attracting all that attention. But to be fair, uh, with those big investments, go big risks. Uh, and it is really interesting to see that in the past few weeks, even, we've seen a lot of announcements, and we'll get to some, about uh, trials that have now been approved with no safety driver in the vehicle. Yeah, I just actually posted before we started recording uh, a story of that, the major mergers and acquisitions in the autonomous vehicle space to my LinkedIn page. And it's amazing. None of these deals have panned out yet, right? I know it's it's early on here, but there's just billions and billions and billions of dollars being spent on this and 
there's nothing they're they're glorified tech demos in most cases right certainly well i, I think the one thing that's interesting is that with this latest round of mergers and acquisitions, I think we are, you are seeing an acknowledgement, at least, of the difficulty of the challenge. That sure. before everyone was very Pollyannish, I would say two to three years ago, I was like, oh, we'll have fully autonomous vehicles on the road by 2020. And obviously, even before the pandemic hit, they all had to scale back their plans because they realized, oh, these the environments are really dynamic. There's so many edge cases getting to a certain level of safety, getting to a certain level of affordability is going to be very difficult. And so we're seeing a little bit of consolidation. We're seeing uh, units changing hands. We've seen a lot of you know, LiDAR companies teaming up, a lot of AI companies teaming up. And to some extent, that that is a predictable phenomenon. But it's still you know, 1,200 employees. That, that's a lot of people working on this problem. It's crazy. So uh, one thing we should note is that this offloading ATG is sort of in line with uh, what Uber has been doing this year in attempt after their IPO to get to profitability for their shareholders. So that's probably a big part of this. They've spent over $3 billion over the years developing their uh, autonomous vehicles. Just this year alone, the ATG and other technology programs reportedly lost more than $300 million. That's according to their own financial filings. So they've offloaded a couple other uh, Lime, one of their bike divisions. Uh, sorry, Jump is the name of their bike division. They offloaded that to Lime, uh, the popular scooter company, and also invested $170 million into Lime. They're also reportedly in talks to sell off Elevate, which is their flying car project. So they're offloading all of these non-core business assets to, and, and again, an attempt to get to profitability. But the, the immediate reaction for me when this happened was, why is Aurora doing this? I, I just don't, I just really, I really don't understand. I so, think Aurora is viewing it as an aqua hire that they get talent and uh, hopefully they don't get the baggage that Uber had, because frankly, Uber had been, you know, had trouble with profitability for some time now, even just purely on the ride sharing side. And uh, it's well known that, and we reported on this a few years ago when Uber poached, I think it was like 40 PhDs from Carnegie Mellon, uh, in Pittsburgh, and and then gave Pittsburgh, you know, or uh, gave Carnegie Mellon a couple million dollars uh, for their troubles. Um, you know, there's, uh, with Tesla and Uber, because they are these pure tech companies that came up, there's a sort of feeling they're charging hard and that they collect a lot of great people, but they don't always seem to know how to manage them. Whereas Aurora has been really focused purely on, on the self-driving space. And I think for them, it's an opportunity to staff up talent that is pretty scarce. Yeah. And you know, by all accounts, Aurora has a great team. Everything that I've read they have a, a really solid team. And I, and I don't mean any disrespect by this, you know, Lord knows I have no ability to design autonomous vehicle software. Uh, you know, I'll never have that ability. And you just said it, the, the, the talent is very scarce in that industry. So I understand that part of it, but, and again, no disrespect here, but are the folks from Uber, is that the talent that you want? So if you look at the performance of their autonomous vehicles, it's lagged behind the competition from the get-go and it really hasn't improved right yeah, so that, and that makes you wonder you know how much of that is uh the, their engineering plan how much of that is the management of it um we'll find out uh, we'll find out but i mean again we all know about the fatal crash yes. in 2018 that killed a woman in arizona uh turned out to be both a software flaw in uber system and also a really poor training and oversight program when it came to the safety drivers the safety driver in that accident was watching a TV show on her phone. But according to the, the information, which is probably, you know, kudos to them, they're probably the, the, the best at breaking autonomous vehicle news. They had a report, I think it was earlier this year, that Uber's self-driving car, quote, couldn't drive more than half a mile without encountering a problem, end quote. And shortly before that fatal crash in 2018, an Uber staffer reportedly wrote an email that said, quote, our car was damaged nearly every other day in February. We shouldn't be hitting things every 15,000 miles, end quote. So yeah, to me- that, that, again, That's again, definitely no, a bad sign, I think. Well, again, but again, no disrespect. I really don't mean any, but are, are 
it, was it poor management? The, the head of uh, Uber ATG is not making the transition over to Aurora. Maybe that's very telling. Maybe that's, was that a, a sticking point for the deal to happen? You know, the deal has been reportedly in the works or was first reported back in, I think, mid early November, mid-November. So he's not making the jump over to this new endeavor, but they've spent over $3 billion over the last, what, five or six years developing these things. They've shut down their autonomous trucking program. They bought from auto for reportedly $680 million. So it just hasn't been a smooth ride at all for Uber's autonomous vehicle program. So it's really a head scratcher to me. Is this, you know, Aurora gets another $400 million. They get perhaps a relationship with some of Uber's other investors, Toyota, Denso, some major players. Again, Uber owns up to 40% of Aurora at the moment. Will they be willing to pour more money into Aurora down the road? They're, they're going to need more funding, I would imagine, in the not too distant future. But it's really a head scratcher to me. You know, they have, I guess Aurora has- Well, I think it'll make it easier for them to raise money because they're not connected to Uber, which has had other problems, even though Uber is still, as you said, a shareholder uh, that uh, maybe with a little bit more independence, it'll be easier for them to go out there and say, oh, you know, you know what Aurora has accomplished. And uh, it obviously takes a lot of money to feed this uh, type of innovation. Yeah, it's it's amazing. You know, I read an interesting thread on, on Reddit uh, when this was all happening, just trying to do, to do some research, but it, it, again, increasing your, your headcount from 600 to 1800, that's a significant jump. Mm -hmm. That's a significant jump. So how, how long is that $400 million? So somebody was positing the idea that you'll see in the not too distant future, you know, Aurora laying off a boatload of its employees just because it's, that's too many. It's just too many people. And again, the whole concept, we've talked about this Aurora is they've publicly admitted it now that they're pivoting from away from robo taxis as being their main area of focus to wanting to pump out autonomous trucks first. Right. right. And, and that we've seen that trend pretty much across the industry this year. I think that's one of the more noteworthy developments in autonomous vehicles is that uh, we've gone from um, people owning or hailing individual passenger vehicles to now, you know, more the, the rideshare shuttle bus idea and increasingly people are realizing the short-term gain is in advanced driver assistance particularly for long-haul trucking and you know I, I think i posted a story about einride in scandinavia this past week there's been a lot of acknowledgement again that you don't need full autonomous and super dynamic and and dangerous urban environments if you can get part of the way there sooner, you might actually start being able to make money sooner. Uh, and, and this whole idea of full autonomy for passenger vehicles, it's turning out to be a tougher nut to crack than a lot of the companies have promised. Yeah. And, and maybe the last thing here is with the deal, Aurora has the potential to have access to Uber's ride hailing business, right? And that's- right. Certainly, by far the number one leading ride-hailing network in the in the world. They've obviously had a, a rough go of it of late with the, with the COVID nineteen pandemic, but that's such a long term vision, right? For autonomous robo taxis to be scaled commercially enough where people in you know multiple multiple locations across the U.S. can hail these through Uber's app. You know, that just seems like that's so far out there and they're not even, it's not an exclusive deal. So Uber could sign deals with other, you know, if Waymo gets there first or Cruise or Tesla or, or you have it, you, you name the company. I don't know. It's, it's just a head scratcher for me all the way around. And, and part of me, you know, being, being a skeptic here just thinks this is more of a giving Aurora a little bit of a longer leash. They had a partnership that fell through earlier this year with Volks, Volkswagen, perhaps, um, you know, it, does this just give them a little bit of a longer leash to, you know, go ahead and raise some more funding down the road when, when they need to? I, I just don't see why they did this. But and I think you're right about the cherry picking of talent that often happens with any corporate merger, especially in technology. Uh, we won't know probably for six months. Um, but there, there is that, that element of competitiveness that they're taking. They're snapping up. ATG while they can before someone else did perhaps or, or before someone else got to uh, get access to those engineers and developers. Um, I, I think 
it's the right call in a sense that Uber wasn't really getting very far. And so for them to unload it while they can and while they have a partner who's willing to take it on is a smart move in the, in the business side of things. Uh, we'll see if that pays off on the technology side. Yeah, and we you mentioned you brought up the the list of mergers and acquisitions in the autonomous vehicle space that we just rounded up yesterday. And again, there's a link to that in the show notes. But there's been some big ones, and I'll just name a couple here. And none of them none of them have panned out to anything at the, at this point. Amazon Zooks, I know that's a very recent one. Uh, Ford and Volkswagen, they've invested what over $3 billion into Argo AI, which just announced they're pushing back. Here's another timeline delay for you. Their commercial robo-taxi service to 2022. Apple bought drive.ai, which was a failing autonomous vehicle company, but there's now reports out there that Apple has handed off the development of their self-driving car to someone else within their own company. GM back in 2016 invested $500 million in Lyft, and they also acquired Cruise for about a billion dollars. Uh, they could actually, GM could actually make a lot of money off of Lyft going forward. But as far as deploying these things commercially, there, there's, there's nothing to show for it yet. So, uh, you know, I'm just- yeah, we know, you, you know, Cruise, I was at the launch of the Cruise Origin in, I think, January. Yeah. And uh, not till, they had about 1,200 people on staff at that moment. And then not too long after that, especially once the pandemic hit, they, they had layoffs. And so um, I, I certainly would not suggest that any of these uh, autonomous vehicle companies are immune to having to cut, tighten their belts. But it is uh, going to be really interesting to continue to follow this horse race because uh, there have been more twists and turns uh, than, than anyone might have expected in the beginning uh, when it's like, oh, it's just going to be, you know, Waymo and Uber and Tesla and, and then the conventional automakers. And in fact, there's been a lot more uh, maneuvering in, in the last year than we would have expected. Yeah. <clears throat> Speaking of other autonomous vehicle companies, here's certainly one that we should probably keep an eye on a little bit more is AutoX. Uh, last week, Gene, they rolled out fully driverless robo taxis on the streets of downtown Shenzhen, China. They're claiming this is the first time a completely autonomous fleet without any sort of safety drivers or remote teleoperators have been deployed in China. The company has been conducting driverless stress tests uh, in Shenzhen, which has the highest dense population density in China for about the past six months. Also, this past July, AutoX became the third company to receive a permit from the California Department of Motor Vehicles for completely driverless robo-taxi operations. And in China, it's deployed more than 100 autonomous vehicles for ride-hailing services in Shanghai, Shenzhen, and other cities. And Gene, they released a video of their of their operation in Shenzhen. And again, we're just going off the video here, but the video, it's quite impressive. Yeah, you know, it's funny because two things come to mind. One is that when you and I rode in autonomous vehicles at CES a couple of years ago, uh, one, the road conditions are obviously very different. Las Vegas is not anywhere near as dense a city as Shenzhen or Shanghai. Uh, and, you know, the weather conditions and traffic are different, but it shows how far the technology is coming along, which is great. And, um, you know, in, in North America, we sort of forget that outside of LA and New York, and maybe Houston, there aren't that many mega cities on this continent. In China, there's like 10 or 20 of them, where you have populations over 10 million people. And so we uh, we think, oh, we have a hard here for testing. If they can launch this and hopefully safely in one of the densest populated cities in the world, uh, I think that's a real shot across the bow of everyone else saying, hey, we're more confident. We're not just testing out in the desert of the US Southwest or on a test track outside Detroit or outside um, Munich, but we're actually doing fully driverless operations. And so maybe those passenger cars I talked about a moment ago are not so far off. Do you have any idea where Shenzhen ranks as far as difficulty? You know, if you compare it to a San Francisco, for example, Cruz has often talked about how it's testing in San Francisco, gives it an advantage over others such as Waymo because of the, the difficult environment San Francisco presents. AutoX has, has said the same thing about Shenzhen. 
I mean, I've never been over there, but how would you compare that to San Francisco or or some other driving environments? I I have not been to Shenzhen either. I have been to San Francisco and I will say among U.S. cities, uh, obviously we're in the Boston area. So we are familiar with the crazy traffic and potholes and weather conditions here in the Northeast. Uh, San Francisco doesn't have the weather necessarily, but it has a lot of the other challenges with double parked cars and, and pedestrians and cyclists and all of that. Uh, I would say Shenzhen is at least on the order of San Francisco, possibly even approaching uh, New York level traffic density. Um, you know, I don't know what the percentages of pedestrians or cyclists and that sort of thing, because that obviously makes a difference. It has the advantage of being a newer, more built up city than say Boston, where our infrastructure is slowly crumbling. Uh, so I, I would say there's there's pros and cons, but if they can demonstrate it successfully in two of the biggest cities in China, I think the, the challenge is, is on for everyone else in the world to, to catch up to them. Yeah, AutoX is they're backed in part by Alibaba. They were founded in 2016 um, by a self-driving technologist from MIT in Princeton. So, a pretty impressive background there. And they're they're already on their fifth generation system. So it's intended to be hardware ready. So we'll have to see see where that goes. And I know we reached out to them. We're, we're trying to get them onto the podcast to give us a little bit more insight into the development of their system and just some of the difficulties and challenges that the environment over there presents. But um, we'll have to wait and see if, if we can actually get them on. Uh, finally, Gene, maybe maybe time to be a little bit more cautious with all those robot vacuums that you have at your house. A new study out of the National University of Singapore showed how a LIDAR sensor inside of a robot vacuum can be used to spy on private conversations using a technique they're calling LIDAR phone. LIDAR phone repurposes the LIDAR sensor inside a robot vacuum cleaner uh, and turns it into a laser-based microphone to eavesdrop on some of your private conversations. So if you're familiar with like the James Bond movies or the Mission Impossible franchise, uh, this kind of tech was science fiction or, or espionage fiction until fairly recently. Um, but there have been privacy concerns raised about these household robots before. As you may recall, when iRobot announced that uh, one of the recent models of the room can map the home, uh, there were some privacy concerns as to, okay, if it maps the home, does it know if people are home? Does it know what room is the bedroom or the child's room? And I think there are some legitimate privacy concerns uh, on how data is collected and shared. Cybersecurity and hacking is even scarier in some ways uh, in that if someone can hack into uh, your smart speaker or hack into your vacuum cleaner, they can find out a lot about you without even necessarily entering the building. And, yeah, and- remember, what, remember the, the Amazon <laughs> drone, that was just, the, the Ring drone, right? Ring's owned right. by Amazon, so they just announced that they're introducing a, a, a home security drone. I mean, this was a topic that came up when that product was announced a couple of months ago as well. But I don't know, this isn't really surprising to me. I mean, what, what internet connected device isn't being hacked these days? It just kind of comes with the territory, no? It does, but I, I think it's a good reminder for the robotics developers out there, especially in consumer robots, that they have to pay extra attention from early on in the process to cybersecurity because these are new devices that people are bringing into their homes, and they may not be aware, and there's no federal standards yet for security on these things. And uh, again, people's security is going to be something that they might judge. If there is an incident, it could put a chill on the whole market for smart home devices. And so you're better off getting ahead of it and say, okay, we got to make sure that these things cannot be hacked, even if they're seemingly innocuous, like a vacuum cleaner or an educational toy, or uh, eventually, you know, we might have kitchen robots, which we've talked about on this podcast, that all of those things, uh, there was a uh, amusing episode of the X-Files uh, from, I don't know, a couple of years ago, and they had the smart home, and you know the AI, of course, became malicious and sentient and tried to attack people. But even setting all of the crazy stuff aside, uh, when we bring in all these devices, and people give away a lot more privacy on their smartphones than they probably realize, 
uh, there is going to be a trade-off. And all it takes, as we saw with self-driving cars, is one bad incident for people saying, you know what? I don't need this feature. I'm not going to buy this vacuum. Were you a, a fan of that show? Of, of which? The X-Files? Yeah. yeah. I don't know that the, the newer ones were that good. Uh, they were kind of hit or miss. But uh, as you know, something to watch under the covers late on a Friday night, it was, uh, it was absolutely in the 90s. The original was, was great. And I thought the episode with the smart home was fairly clever. And what was really funny is that, you know, I'm watching it and I'm telling my wife, oh, that's the robot from this vendor. And that, you know, I recognized a lot of the robots that they were in drones that they were using uh, in this piece of fiction. Yeah, I'm a big uh, David Duchovny guy. He's a <laughs> pretty good actor. So, But the research is just to, to, to finish up here. The research is they did provide some safety measures that could be taken uh, in, in case you're, you know, you're perhaps nervous about this, but to prevent the LIDARs from being misused, they're, they're telling folks not to connect their robot vacuums to the internet, which depending on which robot vacuum you have, you know, for example, if you used iRobot, that would, I, I think it would severely limit um, some of the benefits that come with uh, a, a robot vacuum like that. They also recommend LIDAR sensor manufacturers in, incorporate some sort of technology to, to make sure that the LIDAR can't be overridden to prevent the internal laser from firing when, when the LIDAR is not rotating. So again, not really a surprise to me, um, but uh, some folks might they might not be aware that that is possible. Well, there. and it's also a, a good reminder that for every new technology, there are these sort of unforeseen consequences that who would have thought LIDAR, which is mainly used for navigation and obstacle detection, could be used to spy on people. Now, if it was a visual camera, we know that surface robots uh, we're always reassured by people, whether it's a robot in a hotel or in a hospital, that whatever data it's collecting is anonymized or that it doesn't retain the video of someone answering their door in their bathroom or whatever. Um, it, it has to be similar reassurances for these robots. Yep. All right, folks, to stay updated on all the latest robotics news, again, we have you covered with our network of robotics sites. Make sure you check us out at the Robot Report, Robotics Business Review, and Collaborative Robotics Trends. Gino, anything to mention before we sign off here? Well, you know, the holidays are coming. Uh, we've certainly been getting a lot of year-end uh, pitches from folks, but uh, it is, I think this has been a, a tough year for a lot of folks, but I think robots are part of the solution to a lot of problems that are out there. So uh, as we gear up for the holidays, it's certainly one thing I, I'm, I'm keeping in mind. Yeah, and some of our, our guests coming up that we have on the books here will be joining us to sort of recap the year that was for not only their companies, but also the entire robotics industry. So I know we have uh, Boston Dynamics coming up again, Sarcos coming up again, two companies that had uh, really fabulous years. So we'll get their perspective on the year that was and, and what lies ahead for them. But uh, any interesting ideas, any interesting guests that you would want to hear on this podcast? Again, always feel free to reach out to Gene and I and, uh, and let us know who you want to hear from, what you want to learn about. Uh, we're happy to do what we can. So that's going to do it, folks, for episode 27 of the Robot Report podcast. Thanks to Joel Reed of the Pittsburgh Robotics Network for joining us on the show. And thanks again to all of you for tuning in. New episodes of the podcast drop every Wednesday. You can find us on Amazon Music, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, SoundCloud, Spotify, any of the major podcast networks. Please subscribe, leave us a rating, give us a review. And don't forget our Robo Business Direct series continues this week. To check out the full schedule and to register, visit robobusinessdirect.com. For Eugene Dimitri, I'm Steve Crow. Have a great week, everyone. We'll chat again next Wednesday.